As I think about that song, right before coming up to preach, let's just go home, right? There's no one worthy, and, I, and I'm always reminded of that um, in the responsibility and the privilege of speaking God's word, except in Christ, I will never be worthy to do such a thing. And that is in each moment of our lives as we get to minister for Christ, minister to Christ, we are only worthy because of Christ. And that is a, a moment of, of humility that we should continually remind ourselves of. So thank you, Allison and Zach. That's a great song. Um, Spirit is among us. Let's go to Genesis chapter 48, and um, those of you who wonder how long is the story of Joseph going, there's only two more chapters after this, so I promise we're getting there. But there's some amazing truth in these passages, some amazing words of prophecy, and I think the word prophecy needs some clarity in its definition. As a culture, we typically see prophecy as predicting the future. Okay, that's viable because God is eternal and He sees everything. So yes, prophecy can be predicting the future. But ultimately, it comes down to speaking truth because God is truth and His worshipers will worship Him in spirit and in truth. I'm actually going to come back to John chapter 4 a little bit later because it, it, it shows up in this passage, I promise. But um, Genesis chapter 48, we, we find that, as I was talking with the kids earlier, God does what God does, and He blows up our expectations of what we think it should be. And it's always, it always comes down to humbling ourselves before Him, realizing His goodness and His greatness. So there's some interesting things about this passage. Um, the blessing that is given to Joseph's children and how it relates forward into history and ultimately how we find Christ there. So let's uh, go to Genesis 48 and we are going to read verses 8 through 14. And we're not going to start at the very ver verses for our reading. I'll go back to those though. Let's stand as we read those verses together and honor the God of the word. When Israel saw Joseph's sons, he said, who are these? Joseph said to his father, these are my sons whom God has given me here. And he said, bring them to me, please, that I may bless them. So now the eyes of Israel were dim with age so that he could not see. So Joseph brought them near him and he kissed them and embraced them. And Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face. And behold, God has let me see your offspring also. Then Joseph removed them from his knees and he bowed himself with his face to the earth. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim in his right hand toward Joseph's le or sorry, Israel's left hand, and Manasseh in his left hand toward Israel's right hand and brought them near him. And Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on the head of Ephraim, who was the younger, and his left hand on the head of Manasseh, crossing his hands, for Manasseh was the firstborn. Lord, uh, thank you for your word and teaching us how you value all lives. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. 
Okay, why does this matter, right? Because I know for a fact there are families that the younger is more with it than the older. <laughs> My brother's going to be here next week. You can tell him I said that. So anyway, um, the, uh, the fact is, is that God does things the way God does things. And that's what we find here. Um, going back to verse 1, we'll walk forward to this passage here. This is where the real action happens. That's why I wanted to share that passage first. Going back to verse 1, uh, we see that Joseph and Jacob had been reunited, and the, the Israelites go and live then in Goshen, which is off-center from the rest of Egypt, so they can retain their national identity, that they can be worshipers of Yahweh. And now we find that uh, it has come after another 17 years that it is time for the old man to find his final rest. And uh, there are some interesting things here that we'll talk about that just describe age. You know, one of the things that saw there is that his eyes got dim with age. Uh, I know a lot of people in this room who've had cataract surgery, Right? They didn't do that in 14th century BC, just, just so you know. Uh, be grateful you live when you do, because you could get in the car and drive to church this morning, and we weren't quite as afraid as we might have been before. Think about that a minute. Okay, so, no, you're, there are moments when we realize that age, frankly, does its job. And, and uh, I, I think about hearing about uh, family members who, in history, you know, when they got old, they got blind, and it was probably because of something like cataracts. But you might have had some other eye issues along the way, and that th that is something that can happen with age. It's one of our our, our body's more fine-tuned um, skills, and frankly, it's something that proves that we are created, and that's the eyeball. That it's very complex, but it also wears out. I mean, I've been wearing glasses since I was my kid's age. And as again, I take my glasses off, you are very colorful blobs. Um, that's what we got here. And I even have to get, I even had to get the kind so I can see here, right? I've gotten to that point in life. So one of these days, I'll probably have the cataract surgery because both my parents had it. It's just the way it rolls. Um, we'll, we see that Joseph has reached 147 years, though, and I know that nobody in the room can say they're that old even if we've teased you about being that old. Um, nobody is that old. Joseph is now seeing that the time has come to take his children to his dad to see, go see Grandpa. They're a few miles away. It's not as close as it might be for us. We get in the car and drive down the road, and there they were. They've got to get, you know, they've, they've got to get a 10, 20 miles on camels. It takes a little longer. And so Joseph was told in verse 40, or chapter 48, verse 1, Your father is ill. So he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And it was told to Jacob, Your son Joseph has come to you. Then Israel summoned his strength and sat up in bed. And Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me. And said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you and will make you a company of peoples and will give this land to your offspring after you for an everlasting possession. I remember the, the week my dad passed and how many things he told me that he had already told me. Multiple times. 
Yeah, and, and, and it, at the same moment, it was the frustration and joy, right? You're like, Dad, you already said that. I'm, I'm going to tell you. This is that kind of place right here that Jacob is, is telling Joseph, you know, this is the way it's already been. Je Joseph's probably heard this a hundred times from him. That's one of the reasons we can be thankful for the reliability of Scripture is because this was an oral culture. They told stories, and that's the way they remembered things. And they said the same things over and over and over and over. And especially for the kids in the room, it doesn't get better. Okay? Your parents are going to tell you the same things over and over and over, and you're going to hear the same stories, but those are the stories that are going to stick with you down the road. I promise. And there's blessing in that. So Abraham, I'm sorry, now see I'm already backing up. I'm, I'm giving away some things here. Jacob contended with God, and that's how he got the name Israel. And this name Israel means the one who contends with God. Uh, the name Jacob meant the one who grasps. Why was he named that? Because he grasped at the heel of his brother as he was born, right? And that was Jacob, or the deceiver, or somebody who's going after something that doesn't actually belong to him. What is the, Jacob's story then? Well, he stole his older brother's birthright. They were twins, not like there was a lot of age difference in them. But Esau, being the intelligent person that he was, if you go back and read the story, you'll see that there's a tinge of sarcasm in what I'm saying. Wasn't the brightest bulb in the pack. So he says, I'm starving. You can have my birthright. <laughs> Somebody didn't put a lot of thoughts into that. So, so Jacob had received a blessing as the younger one. So now he says that he contended and God promised that he would have... Um, have a great blessing. Now your two sons, verse 5, it says, who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt are mine. I am taking and adopting your children. Now this may not make a big deal when he's 147 years old because Joseph, he knows however old his kids are, he's the one that's dealing with the discipline problems and, and that Ephraim's stealing the car keys, right? That's not what they're talking about here though. They're talking about Joseph's blessing as the child, that these two sons will now receive Joseph's blessing. Jacob is giving what belongs to Joseph to his two sons. The children that you fathered after them shall be yours. He says, have more kids if you want your own. Thanks, Dad. They shall be called by the name of their brothers in their inheritance. As for me, when I came from Paddan, my sorrow, to my sorrow, Rachel died in the land of Canaan on the way when there was still some distance to Ephrath, and I buried her there on the way to Ephrath, that is, Bethlehem. All right, so we're going to come back to all this and how this all relates now. When Joseph saw, Israel saw Joseph's sons, he asks for the blessing here, and this is the passage that we just read. Now, all of these things matter because of the history of the rest of the brothers. The first three sons that were born to Leah, Reuben, Simeon, and Levi, all messed up royally. You want to go back and read the stories, you can see the disgusting things they did. And it was gross, and it was awful, and it was wicked. 
And so Jacob says, you guys lost your, your right. Now the promise of the Messiah comes instead of one, from one of the, those three, comes from the fourthborn of Leah, and that is Judah. Okay? So ultimately, that's where God's promise is fulfilled to us in Christ. We talked about that in Genesis chapter 38 as Judah, and, and that's, that is its own mess too, right? It's a strange story. But we see that God has already, or sorry, Jacob, God through Jacob, has already said these three older brothers don't get what they could have. They will all be a part of a mighty nation, but they will not receive the blessing. We do remember that Jacob really wanted to marry Rachel, Leah's younger sister, and that from Jacob, now from Rachel, he has Joseph and Benjamin. Now he gives the full inheritance that he has the privilege of offering to Jacob in double form. If with 12 kids, the inheritance is basically divided to the point that the, the one who is the firstborn would get, a, get twice as much as the rest of the children did. I was talking about that with the kids earlier. Now we see how that's going to flesh out with Ephraim and Manasseh, and that Joseph's two sons receive the blessing that he had bestowed, that Jacob had bestowed on Joseph as the rank of firstborn. You with me? I'm not sure I am. All right, so now here's the meeting. That's where we are is he brings the two sons and Jacob says, I'm going to bless you, Joseph, and I'm going to bless your sons, and I'm going to do it the way I'm going to do it. Joseph said to his father, these are my sons whom God has given me here in verse 8. And he said, bring them to me, please, that I may bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were dim with age so that he could not see. So Joseph brought them near him, and he kissed them and embraced them. And Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face, and behold, God has let me see your offspring also. Then Joseph removed them from his knees. How old were they? There's been speculation that they were like adults. I don't think they were if he removed them from his knees. Just saying, I don't think Grandpa wants the 21-year-old kid to sit on his knee. I'm saying. So we don't really know how old they were, but they were small enough that they could be there. So Joseph removed him from his knees and he bowed with himself to his face to the earth. Joseph took them both. Ephraim in his right hand. Okay, think about walking up to somebody. Ephraim is the second born. So he's taking this son in his right hand and Manasseh in his left to present to his father in the opposite. The rank and this goes throughout Scripture, the power hand is the right hand. Now, there's plenty of left-handed people in my family who would argue this, but I can tell you I am very right-handed, and I understand why they do this. Because my left hand is, I can play chords. That's what I can do with my left hand. I can, you know, stabilize whatever the right hand's doing. My left hand's almost useless. So, when you get to the point here he's bringing him to the father with the expectation that the inheritance is going to come to the son that's in his left hand or the one that's presented to his father's rights. Now, dad's blind. That's what it tells us, right? But he's not stupid. 
He may be blind, but he's not dumb. He has his own plans on this blessing, and I'm going to come back to this blessing. He himself crosses his hands. Now, that's kind of a ridiculous stance to be in anyway, right? But he takes the hand of strength and places it on the son that is to his left, or the grandson that is to his left. And he blesses both of them, but in this blessing, the way he presents it is that the younger will receive the blessing of the firstborn, the double portion. Joseph took them both, Ephraim in his right hand, to his left hand, Manasseh in his left hand, Israel's right hand, brought them near him. Verse 14, Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on the head of Ephraim, who was the younger, and his left hand on the head of Manasseh, crossing his hands, for Manasseh was the firstborn. Now we're going to go to verse 15 and see what he says. Okay. He blessed Joseph. Okay. He's blessing Joseph's sons with the entirety of the, the, what he would give to Joseph. The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the boys. And in them let my name be carried on in the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. When Joseph saw that his father had laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, it displeased him. And he took his father's hand to move it from Ephraim's hand to Manasseh's head. Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. Now, I just want you to picture a feeble old man. He's going to do what he's going to do. I don't know that you ever know that guy. Right? Nobody tells grandpa what to do. Grandpa knows what he's doing. He's not strong in himself, but he has the faculties to understand this. And I think it's so that all of the generations that follow can learn the lesson of how God blesses. Okay, And it's never the way man, humanity, expects it. I think that's part of this lesson here. Joseph said to his father, Not this way, my father, since this is the one who's the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He, shall become, he also shall become a people, and he also shall be great. Nevertheless, his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his offspring shall become a multitude of nations. So he blessed them that day, saying, By you Israel will pronounce blessings, saying, God make you as Ephraim and as Manasseh. See, thus he put Ephraim before Manasseh. Then Israel said to Joseph, Behold, I am about to die, but God will be with you and will bring you again to the land of your fathers. Moreover, I have given to you rather than to your brothers one mountain slope that I took from the hand of the Amorites with my sword and with my bow. We're going to revisit some of those things along the way. There's some things that, that are interesting from this point forward about Ephraim and Manasseh. We, said, we saw it there in, in the... In the latter passage, that Ephraim is named first from this moment on. And we see that um, in Numbers chapter 1. Go forward to that just a minute. Numbers is um, just that, a whole bunch of numbers. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Okay, there we go. Get, it, get, the, get the numbers right in my head, the order right in my head. Numbers chapter 1. I haven't been on these pages very much. My Bible's arguing with me. Verses 32 through 35. Now, this is following the Exodus as they are entering, I'm sorry, it's during the Exodus as they're going to take the promised land. 
the census happens of the people. Of the people of Joseph, namely the people of Ephraim, their generations by their clans, by their fathers' houses, according to the number of names from 20 years old and upward, every man able to go to war, those listed in the tribe of Ephraim were 40,500. And of the people of Manasseh, by their generations, their clans, by their fathers' houses, according to the number of names from 20 years old and upward, every man able to go to war, those listed of the tribe of Manasseh were 32,200. So Ephraim's listed first, and the numbers are greater for Ephraim. Also, I found interesting in reading through this whole passage, in, in the numbering of all the, all the peoples, the tribe of Judah, if you go up, and you know, it won't be on the screen, he talks about the tribe of Judah, who is the tribe of promise, right? Those listed in the tribe of Judah were 74,600. Now, if you do, those ma- do that math together, they're, they're relatively close. You got 72,000 people from Joseph. You have 74,000 people from Judah. And if you look at the rest of the tribes, they are significantly smaller. The blessing that ultimately goes to God's people runs through which tribes? Judah and Ephraim, the inheritance of Joseph. And as you see the the nation become first Israel that David is king over and then Solomon, uh, well, it's Saul, David, and then Solomon. When the nation split, they split northern to southern. You have the the, the, the older brother gets the north, So the the full inheritance goes to the north, the big inheritance. That's the people of Israel. They're also called Ephraim, frequently. And Manasseh gets two areas of land. Okay? Then the southern kingdom of Judah swallows up Benjamin, kind of swallows up Simeon as well. And so you see those are the two tribes that kind of hold rank with all the peoples. It would be Judah and Ephraim. Also, this is me going nerd on you, sorry. What else was I going to tell you? I forgot forgot in there. Oh, as they entered the promised land, those of you who've studied Joshua, who were the two guys that took the lead? Caleb and Joshua. The tribes they were from, Caleb Caleb was from Judah, and Joshua was from Ephraim. These two tribes carry great significance in the future history of Israel. Okay? So, so these, what I'm saying is that Jacob's prophecy on his sons matter. Okay? This is important things. And most of us just read through it and go, oh, I'm almost to the end. Right? I've been reading Genesis forever. We've been talking about Joseph forever. Pastor won't shut up about it. Oh, These are things that matter going forward, okay? These are things that show us that God's plan is different than what we might have put together. And we see that the two strongest tribes are of Judah and Ephraim. And we see ultimately Israel or Ephraim falls apart and is taken over by the Assyrians and they're reintroduced to a land that becomes or that, that becomes known as Samaria. Anybody ever hear of Samaria? Let's go to John chapter 4 real quick. John 4 is the story of the woman at the well. That's usually how we, we view this. But there's some fulfillments here 
Do you remember, uh, as we were reading just a few moments ago, when, when Jacob was saying that, his, that Joseph's descendants would receive the hillside that he, what he had taken from the Canaanites, the Amorites? Here's where we find it. John chapter 4. And uh, I only put 4 and 5 on the screen, but I'm going to start in verse 1. All right. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. He came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. Sychar was near a town called Shechem. You see where all these pieces end up crossing over? This is me going nerd on you, okay? This is, this is just interesting to me how, how God brings things full circle in ways we might not expect it. This land that the Jews avoided, Jesus goes through and finds the well that was given to Joseph. And that would be in the land of Ephraim. Okay? So all of these things come full circle along the way. One more spot in the New Testament. Hebrews chapter 11. Verses 20 through 22. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of his sons of Joseph bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. We're going to get to that in a couple of weeks, okay? You see how it's all coming circle on that? And where is the blessing according to Hebrews chapter 11? It's in faith. It's in trusting God to fulfill his word. And ultimately, in this whole passage, we see the deliverance of the people of Israel from this famine. We obviously see them suffer in Egypt during the Exodus, but God then brings them and delivers them out of that. God has a plan for you. God has a plan for me. God has a plan for the world, and his name is Jesus. Joseph is this type of Messiah. He is the rescuer of the people here. He is the anointed one for that day and time. But we see that the promise again comes through the tribe of Judah in the the unexpected place and comes to this this tribe that in this town that we see called in uh, in Micah and then in, um, in the New Testament, this town of Bethlehem, the least of these. The smallest, most insignificant place. God blesses in ways we will never expect, and he does it because he does it that way. Now, one more significant thing in this passage. This blessing is the fourth generation at the very start. The precedent has been set. This is the fourth generation in a row that the younger is blessed ahead of the older. You have Abraham, and then he has Ishmael, right? And he has Isaac. 
Which one was the one that God promised? There's Isaac. He's the second born. He's 13 years younger, significantly younger. Then you have um, Isaac with Jacob and Esau. We already talked about them, right? They were twins. Esau was born first. Esau sells his birthright to Jacob. Jacob tricks his dad into blessing him instead of Esau and receives it. Even in deception, that promise is fulfilled because that is where the blessing lied. The, the spoken word was so powerful. If, if dad said it, that's the way it happened. And that's just the way it was it worked out in this place. Then we see uh, everything that we've already talked about with Joseph and his brothers, right? He was almost the totally youngest. He ends up receiving the, the blessing, the birthright of the firstborn. And then his dad says, no, they're mine. And the younger is going to be blessed ahead of the older. Four generations in a row. God sets this precedence. God works as God works. And there is sovereignty in that. And I think we need to, we need to find comfort in understanding that whatever our place is, God is in control of it. Okay? Because if I'm looking forward and I, and I think that I'm going to write out the whole history of Israel, it'd be a lot more boring than what it is, first of all, right? If I'm just writing it down and making it up along the way. But we see that God fulfills his plan from the start. And Christ, then, is the firstborn over all creation because of his resurrection, but if you remember the day and time of history, he wasn't the guy that the, that the Jews or the Romans expected, right? He came and fulfilled God's purposes the way it had always been designed to be fulfilled. God's plan from the start, and you can go back to the beginning of Genesis. We're not going to do it today, don't worry. But you see that his plan from the start was redemption by faith. Why was Abram blessed? Because he trusted God. That's what it all comes down to. God blesses when we trust him. And his plan, his fulfillment the whole time has been that the less would, would be magnified. And you see the picture of Christ on the cross and the prophets and the suffering that he endures. We couldn't even look on Christ and his suffering because he was so abused and unrecognizable. Yet that perfect, spotless lamb is the one who brings redemption. God works in the ways God works. We should trust him. You may be in a place where you, you can't figure out what's going on. To that, I say, welcome. I think we're all there. Especially as you look at the, this moment in history. What in the world is happening? Literally, what in the world is happening? I can't understand it all on my own. I can see God's word and the ways he's promised to be with us through those struggles. But we see that he has promised to be with us in the midst of it. And he is the one that's in control, and he is the one that's in charge.
So I encourage you today, place your trust in the one who knows what's going to happen. Okay? Because he's worthy of our worship. Let's pray. Lord, you are good. I thank you for how your promise is fulfilled.